Over the past few years, I have asked you guys to give me a rating and review. And if you've done that, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. It's so helpful. But if you haven't, I get it. I kind of get it. Like, I'm asking you to go and click on this thing and then like, how do I do it? And then I have to come up with some kind of a review and I don't know what to say and I'll do it later, right? I, I get it. I've, I've kind of been there before. I, I know exactly how you feel. And so I'm not asking you to do that now, okay? What I'm asking you to do now is so easy. Anybody can do it and it literally takes like one second. Go into whatever you're listening to, whether it's Apple Podcast or Spotify or whatever platform you're listening on, they all have it, and just click on the subscribe button. Just subscribe. It takes one second. You don't have to be creative. You don't have to come up with a review and write it all out and you know be self-conscious about it. Just hit that subscribe button. That would be so, so, so impactful for me. And if you're enjoying this and getting a lot out of it, that would mean the world to me. It really would. And it's so easy. Anyone can do it. Like, let's literally stop listening right now. Stop listening. Go and do it. That's how much it means to me. Nobody ever asks you to leave their show and stop listening for anything. But I'm asking you to stop listening right now. Go and just quickly subscribe. Come right back and take a listen. That would mean the world to me. I would really appreciate it. You guys are awesome. And I really appreciate it. Thanks. Most of us as entrepreneurs, we get excited about finding deals. We get excited about renovating a property. We get excited about renting it out, or we get excited about flipping it and making money. All these parts of our business get us really excited. The part of our business that does not get us excited, and I will put myself in this category like times 10, is legal paperwork, going on the government website and downloading some form and then faxing it in or emailing it in. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for being here today. I appreciate it. Thanks for showing up. Uh, there are so many, so many options for you in the world to take your attention away. And you guys are here, and that is so awesome. I have another great Q&A replay for you guys. I do these Q&As for you on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I am on Facebook. I am on LinkedIn. I am on Twitter. I am on YouTube and also on Instagram a lot of times. Instagram's a little different story, but they make it a little tough to, to go live sometimes. So uh, but I'm all over the place on Wednesdays at 7, answering questions for you uh, specifically to help you in your business and to move you forward. So you should check that out live on Wednesdays at 7. Whatever platform you like to hop on is totally fine. Um, or you can listen to it here. And that's totally awesome, too. I appreciate you being here. I had a good Q&A. We discussed the Burr strategy and how that is different from conventional buy and hold. Uh, we talked about remote work environments and when it may be appropriate to show up in person or have an in-person type of event. Uh, we talked about a new wholesaler and whether or not they should create the LLC before their first deal or after they've done a few deals. And I had a lot of thoughts on that one. I have a very strong stance on that. Uh, and also, um, a new flipper that is struggling to get deals because they feel like they need a contractor every time they go and make an offer and the contractor process makes it slow and they're just missing out on all the deals. And so we talked about that. And we also talked about when you hire your team, like 
does everybody get their own role? Should people be wearing multiple hats in your company? How does that look? What does that look like? And so we talked about that too. That was a live question. Uh, we talked about websites and things. So lots of stuff packed into this like 35-minute-ish episode. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. I hope you love it. Like I said, I'd love to see you live on Wednesdays. If not, I'll be here every Thursday replaying them for you so you still get the benefit of it. All right, guys, here we go. My latest Q&A. All right, I am live with you guys here. Thanks for joining me on another uh, Q&A, live Q&A. If it's live, if you're here right now. If you're listening to this uh, after today, which is Wednesday, the 18th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, then I'm recorded. But I do do this live every Wednesday at 7, so you should tune in so you can ask me questions directly and get an answer, and we can have a conversation. Um, but... If you're here listening to it on replay, if you're listening to this on my podcast, the Just Start Real Estate podcast, then welcome to you as well. I'm excited to be here with you guys. Um, uh, lots of big stuff happening in my business, but today it's for you guys and your business. Uh, but I will say, if you go to, uh, this is brand new, by the way, this is like hot off the presses, uh, brand new giveaway that I've, I've made. I created a very... Um, comprehensive but smallish course it's a it's a five video series course that you can download and it's a hundred percent free and the course is specifically about direct mail and how i do direct mail uh the direct mail piece that is responsible for generating about a hundred deals for me over the last seven years every single year by the way a hundred deals every year for the past seven years. It is far and away my most successful mail piece that I've ever created. And I give you that, but also there's five videos to explain exactly how I use it, how I get uh, it printed up, uh, how many pieces I send out and how many you should send out, uh, how many, how often you should send it out. That's a question I get all the time. Like, hey, I got this mail piece, but I don't know what to do with it. I don't know what market I should mail to. I talk about that. I don't know how many to send. I talk about that. I don't know how often to send it. I give you that answer as well. We talk about, like I said, getting it mailed, pulling lists. There's a bonus video in there about pulling lists. And if you're interested at all, and like I said, it, it has generated so much money for my business and it has helped me create the successful real estate company that I have. Um, and so if you're struggling to get leads, if you've tried direct mail and it hasn't really worked well for you, there could be some very specific reasons why that is. And I go over those things in this small mini course. Um, or, or if you've you know never tried direct mail and you don't even know what it is, you can get this course and it can help you. So to get it, to get it, I'm sorry, you go to mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail. That's MikeSimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail. Go check it out. Go download it. I think you're going to love it. I've sent a couple of people through this course and they were mind blown. They loved it. And I think it's going to be really, really impactful for a lot of people. My goal with this was to create something that I easily could charge a lot of money for and just give it away for free just to just to do it. I want to see people hit their goals. We are uh, approaching half the halfway point of 2022. And if you've not hit your goals, and if you're struggling to get deals, hopefully this will turn the ship around for you. And I think it will if you go through it, 
listen to all the videos, take action on what is in them. I think it can help you. And like I said, the best part, guys, it's free. So go and grab it. Get yours today while they're hot. And uh, we'll see you inside of that course. Okay. Let's dive into the actual Q&A part of this and let's start answering some questions. Okay, the first question is, what is the difference between the Burr strategy and conventional buy and hold? So for those of you who don't know, the Burr strategy, and it's B-R-R-R-R, called the Burr strategy. It stands for buy, uh, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat. Okay, so it's it's buy and hold. So how is it different than conventional buy and hold? Well, with the Burr strategy, the the sort of the strategy is you get the money for the property and after you renovate it, rent it, you refinance to get your money out and you take that same money and you move it into the next one. And then you you rinse and repeat. You do that again and then you get the money out and you go to the next one. And that's the Burr strategy. Conventional buy and hold is, you know, if, if you want to go real conventional, it's I go to the bank, I, I talk to a loan manager or a loan officer at the bank, and I say, I want to buy an investment property. And they say, okay, we have an investment loan that we can um, give to you. You have to put 20% down, you need this credit score, and you get the loan, you buy the property. A lot of times, they're not going to loan you the money for the renovation. So you've got to kind of scrape together the money for the renovation any way you can. And you renovate the property, and you get it rented, and then you go back to the bank, and you say, I did that one. Now I want another loan, a different loan, a separate loan, and I'm going to go do the second property. And then they give you a loan for that. And typically the bank will do that, I think nine or 10 times. It, it changes over time. But I think like you can do like nine, I think, properties in your personal name, uh, rental properties. And, and every time you go back to the bank, you're getting a new loan and the original loan stays with whatever house you had a loan to you for. So house one has a loan, that loan stays in place. In, until you sell that property or until you pay off the loan. With the Burr strategy, you're taking that money out every time. You're refinancing the original money that you had. And so you basically, let's just say for, for the sake of argument or the sake of using numbers, I have $100,000. That $100,000 will let me buy and renovate a house. And then when I go to take that money out, I put an actual, a, a new loan on that house from the bank or from some other lender. And I take my original money out and I buy the next one, right? So we're not, we're sort of getting a loan after it's renovated, after it's um, rented, then we go get a loan, not the other way around. Conventionally, you get the loan first and that's how you buy it and, and maybe renovate it too. So that's the biggest difference. Um, the great thing about the Burr strategy is, you can take that original investment and just keep using it to buy new houses. Once you get the one renovated and rented, you take it out and you use that money to buy the next house. So you really just need like that one, you know, lump of money and that allows you to buy all your houses going forward. And then you're just, you're just refinancing and putting new money into it when you leave. So that's the difference between the birth strategy and conventional buy and hold. Uh, let's hop on to the next question. Next question is, I am struggling in our current remote work environment. Do you think it is appropriate for me to recommend to my boss that we do some more in-person uh, get-togethers? That's interesting. 
Um, I, I don't know this person asking the question. Honestly, I don't know if they're in real estate. I mean, anyone could be asking this question in any industry, pretty much. Um, yeah, I think it's absolutely appropriate for you. But I think your boss is if, if you guys if you are a local company, right? I'm assuming what's happening here is you're local. You guys used to work in an office. COVID hit. Everybody went remote and your company just hasn't gone back to in person. They're still doing remote. A lot of companies have done that because they realized, oh, we don't have the overhead that we used to have with bringing people in the office. We don't need this big office. We don't need to heat it. We don't need to keep the electricity on. <clears throat> we don't need all of this. Um, so we're going to stay remote. We kind of did that. We, My company, um, we were uh, in person. We, we had an office space and everybody went there every day. The only difference is we actually got out of our office space and decided to go remote before COVID ever hit. Before anybody knew what COVID-19 was, we got out of there and we decided to go remote and then COVID hit and then everybody was remote anyway. So I don't know if we are just like, if we are great at telling the future or if we got lucky. I'm thinking we got lucky because nobody knew what was going to happen. So, uh, in that case, we were remote anyway. But if you guys are a local company that went remote and you're staying remote and you're saying, you know, you feel like you're struggling, you know, your boss, whoever that is, the company you work for, your manager, they should be probably doing some in, in-person stuff, together stuff, just to keep that kind of team atmosphere and, and team building and make sure everyone feels connected. But if I were you, I would 100% reach out to your boss and say, listen, this remote thing's great. There's a lot of benefits, but I feel disconnected. I'm struggling a little bit. Let's let's get together once in a while and have a team meeting or a, a you know some sort of team building or just go to dinner or something, right? I think that's 100% appropriate. I think you should do that. If I were your boss, if it was this was my employee, I would really hope that they would reach out to me and say, I feel like I need some in-person time with the team, with you, whatever it is. I would be ecstatic to get that call or to get that text message because that's huge. That's that's great feedback. And so I think you should absolutely do that. And if they don't want to do it or they refuse or for some reason that upsets them, that's not a good manager. That is not a good leader of people that you're talking to. So I think it's absolutely appropriate. And I think you should do it immediately. Like I would send them an email or text them or call them first thing in the morning and tell them that's what you think. I think it's great. A great thing. Okay. Let's go to the next question. By the way, guys, if you are on, if you're logged on and you have a question, please ask, jump in here. Uh, I will give you priority over all the questions that I got throughout the week. Um, and that's what really what I do. I come on here and answer the questions that I get throughout the week. If no one has questions live, it's totally fine. We just ask, ask uh, answer the questions that we got during the week. So let's go on to the next question. The next question is, I would like to begin wholesaling. Should I create an LLC before my first deal or wait after my first couple to see if this is a strategic fit for me? Oh, dear gosh, uh, that is a good question, uh, but I would emphatically tell you I would not worry about forming an LLC before you do your first deal. Now, let me just be real clear here, guys. I am not a lawyer. I am not giving legal advice, okay? And I'm not a CPA. I am not giving you tax advice. What I am giving you is practical advice, and I'm giving you advice from someone who has seen people have this question and 
everything go off the rails and it nothing really happens because they keep thinking they have all these hurdles that they put in front of themselves that they have to do before they do their first deal. Forming an LLC, that's one that stops people ultimately because then the like most of us as entrepreneurs, we get excited about finding deals. We get excited about renovating a property. We get excited about renting it out or we get excited about flipping it and making money. All these parts of our business get us really excited. The part of our business that does not get us excited, and I will put myself in this category like times 10, is legal paperwork, going on the government website and downloading some form and then faxing it in or emailing it in, um, getting an EIN, going to the federal site to get you know your federal tax ID, like all this stuff, like uh, you put that stuff in front of me and I will find every excuse in the world to not do it, I'll, every excuse. And right now my assistant is on in the background here. Uh, probably laughing because I will 100% avoid the tiniest little chore if it sounds like paperwork or filling out a form or going to a website, a government website and trying to find like I I hate that stuff. And it, it does derail us as entrepreneurs because most of us don't like that kind of work. So should you have an LLC when you're running a business and you're doing deals, of course, of course, you need to have an entity. But I say do your first deal because you will demystify this whole real estate thing. You do your first wholesale deal and you make $10,000, $15,000, $20,000, depending on what market you're in. And then getting that LLC, well, you'll do it in a snap because you understand the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow if you go and get that done. So don't put that in front of you like sure could something go wrong if you don't of course something can go wrong when you wake up in the morning you could step out of bed and twist your back and be in traction the next day you could go get in your car and you could get in a car wreck get a plane plane wreck right everything something bad can always happen that's a horrible excuse for not doing something or doing something right so in this case i say go do your first first wholesale deal the the chance of it going well and you having no problem because you didn't have an LLC is like 99.999%, it's gonna be fine. So I say those odds are worth taking. Go do your first deal, maybe do your second deal. If you like it, if you know you're gonna keep doing it, if it's exciting for you, go get your LLC. But I'm telling you, go to the go to the state website like at night, at midnight or 11 o'clock, like once you're done working, then you go to the website, fill out the form, send it in, whatever you got to do. Don't do that in the middle of the day as in a, as a, a replacement for actually going out and finding deals. You should be going out, finding deals, um, finding buyers for if you're a wholesaler, and maybe even raising money potentially. Those activities are important, and that's what you should be doing during the bulk of the time you're spending on your business. Finding deals, finding buyers, if you're a rehabber, finding good contractors, raising money, um, you know, driving leads into your business like that. That's activity for the owner of a small business. That's what you should be focused on. The LLC, do it in your spare time. It takes five to 10 minutes. You know, nowadays, everything's online. You can just fill the thing out online, usually submit it online, like do it in your spare time, do it at night, do it you know, first thing in the morning before you start work, like don't let that get in the way 
of doing deals and making money. You're not a real estate investor until you do at least one deal. And having an LLC does not make you a business owner. Making money and, and driving, you know, revenue into your company, that makes that makes you a business person. So, man, the LLC thing, you do need it. You do need it eventually. I say go do your first deal, maybe do your second deal and then evaluate. Are you going to keep doing this? Because if you do two deals and you make that money, you'll hurry up and get the LLC done. It, you'll you'll see the urgency and the reason to get it done quickly and get it off your plate and move on to like money making activities. So, yeah, you need it. I say I say do a couple deals first. Personally, I'm not a lawyer, not a CPA, right? They would argue a lawyer would for sure argue differently. CPA might argue differently too, but the the the, the negatives are not outweighed by the extreme positives of going out and doing the deal. So I will emphatically tell you from a practical standpoint and from someone who's seen this go wrong and go the other way, I, I need an LLC, I need a website, I need business cards, like all these things people put in front of actual activity that drives money. Uh, don't don't be that person. So yeah, that's, that's my answer to that one. Some people may not like it, but that's the answer. Okay. Next question, please. Next question. We are new flippers and feel like we need to have a contractor give us a repair estimate to evaluate the deal properly. But to get this coordinated takes time and we've lost several deals. Any advice? Yes, stop doing that. You are right. It is It is a more, um, it's more comfortable. It might be a little safer to have a contractor uh, quote it first. But the reality is in this market, you just don't have that kind of time. And so what I would do is either send the pictures of the property, because I'm assuming that you, you have pictures to look at. If you're buying from a wholesaler, if they should have pictures for you. If you're buying off the MLS, they definitely have pictures for you. And I would find a contractor, meet with them, call them, talk to them on the phone, whatever, and say, listen, I'm, a, I'm an investor. Uh, I need someone to give me a high level kind of surface level quote on a job that I might be making an offer on. And I'm wondering if you're interested in doing that. I would send you pictures and I, I'm not going to hold you to the quote. I just want an educated guess on what it would cost and go that route and, and ask someone to just look at pictures and give you like a desktop quote, basically. Otherwise, what you need to do is talk to the other like investors in your area and find out what they're paying per square foot for the renovations they're doing. My guess is, depending on your market, you're going to be somewhere in the $25 to $30 a square foot range. And, you know, $25 to $30 a square foot, I'm probably closer to like 22 or 23. And some of it depends on the contractors you get and how, you know, competitive their pricing is. But to be safe, I would say $25 to $30 a square foot. And that will cover all the cosmetic stuff, new kitchen, new bath, new floors, paint, new hardware, new lights. And I would say that what that should also cover one bigger ticket item, like a roof or windows or HVAC windows. I don't know, maybe not windows, but like a HVAC, like air conditioner, heater, roof, maybe windows it would cover you know something like that you can add in one of those things not all of them one of those things so all cosmetics kitchen bath floor paint hardware lights base molding like everything you would do to to renovate the inside of a house and then add one other 
bigger ticket item. And that's typically what $25 to $30 a square foot will cover. If it needs a roof and windows and heater and air conditioning, now you're talking a different number. But unless whoever you're buying it from tells you that you need all of those things, it's there's a good chance you don't need all those things. So there's a good chance you need one of those things or maybe a couple of those things, but not usually not all of them unless the house is just like, a disaster, like a total dumpster fire. Um, but that's what you could use as a ballpark when you're making your offers is, you know, if you want to be safe, say $30 a square foot. If you want to be a little bit more aggressive, you could say $25 a square foot and just look at the square footage times 25 times 30 um, and make your offer and, and see what happens. Because you, you're right in this environment, you're out of the game. If you've got to like wait two or three days and then you have a contractor go through and then you have to wait another day or two before they get you a quote or even longer. Sometimes you're, you are going to lose out. You're never going to get a deal. So, um, yeah, I would say you've got to start. You've got to learn how to make offers without that. And to do that, you have to start getting some metrics behind what is the cost per square foot. And like I said, if you know rehabbers or whatever it is you're trying to do, if you know someone who's doing that, and you can ask them, they, they should know. There's a really good chance they're gonna know what they're paying per square foot. And then you can use that as a benchmark. Now, if you go into a house and uh, you know it's a total disaster, like just a total dump, you might have to up that number. And if, consequently, if you go into a house and it's like really, really good shape, maybe you can lower that price per square foot because it's not gonna cost as much, right? So until you get good at, by the way, that's the goal is to not have to rely on a contractor and not have to rely on some number that's generic and doesn't fit all scenarios. You need to, once you do enough deals where you can go in and look around and see what has to be done, make some notes and then, you know, estimate that renovation. That's when you're really gold. You want that. Or, you know, I don't know how big your company is or how long you've been doing it. If you're new, maybe this won't work, but if you've been doing this a while, is hire someone who has that knowledge who can go in and give you those estimates. So, and maybe you could just pay a contractor to sort of like be on call. Like they'll come out at the drop of a hat and they'll give you a quote like right there in the house or the minute they leave, they can ballpark it. Most contractors can walk into a rent, uh, a flip house, uh, you know, that needs to be flipped, look around for 10 minutes and they can be within 10%, give or take what it's going to cost to do it. Like no problem. I can do it and I've never renovated a house in my life on my own, like I've, I've hired contractors though. And I've done enough houses that I've had a contractor do that I've gotten really good at estimating cost and timing. Those two things I can tell you with pinpoint accuracy. Now, if you hand me a hammer and a nail gun or, you know, <laughs> any other tool used to build, I'm not, I'm not your guy. I can't, I can't build anything. I can't fix anything, but I know exactly what it should cost. I know exactly how long it should take. And that's the skill you need to have as the owner. You don't have to be able to do it. And so maybe you have a contractor that, you know, you just have a relationship. Maybe you pay them a flat fee, hundred bucks, and you send them pictures or you tell them to meet you out at a house and they do the walkthrough with you. You do that a couple of dozen times. You'll get good. You'll get pretty good at estimating renovation yourself. So that's what I would suggest there. But you can't wait. Like You can't wait till the contractor, like you need someone who's on it, who can be there and show up when you need them and give you like an estimate before you like get in your car and drive away. Like, or that night they can give you an estimate at the very latest, because I get it. You're, these deals are going fast and this, in this market we're in, it's absolutely crazy. Everyone is looking for deals. Everyone's looking for houses. You know, it's just a great market when you're trying to sell, but when you're trying to buy, it makes it a little, a little challenging. So that's, that's what I would do there. 
All right, let's uh, go on to the next question. This might be the last one. Angela, if you can tell me if this is the last one, that would be helpful too. Oh, Bob, what's up, man? We got a live one. We got a live one, guys. Here we go. Bob is a good friend of mine. Let's see what he says. When building out your team, do you think each hat position needs to be one person's responsibility or do you think each team member can handle multiple things? That's a great question. Bob is a scaled up successful investor. So I'm going to answer this. Um, okay, I'm going to answer this one a couple different ways. Uh, I know that that Bob has a team and he's successful. So where you are, Bob, in your business kind of scaled up and you have a lot of traction, you're doing a lot of deals. I would try to give each seat on the bus or each position to one person. Doesn't mean that you don't have a person like, okay, I'll give you a for example. And, I, and I'll, I'm going to give you a for example, and I'm going to admit that I'm not following my advice here, but it's because every situation is unique. So I used to have a dispositions person and a transaction coordinator uh, who would handle title work and all that kind of stuff. And they were separate. But I was struggling finding a good transaction coordinator. They just kept, it, it became this re, um, turnstile in my company where I just couldn't find the right person that everybody I brought in was just didn't work out. And as you know, Bob, because you're a wholesaler, the transaction person isn't like a salesperson and they don't appear to have like this really prominent, important role. But the fact of the matter is your acquisitions people and your dispositions people very much rely on that transaction coordinator to get stuff done, to get things to the closing table, get them closed and move on to the next one and get them closed and like keep this moving, right? Because if you pay your acquisitions and dispositions partially or wholly, off of profits, net profits, gross profits, whatever. If you're not closing deals, that's that's causing some friction in your in your business. And so I was bringing in transaction coordinators. They weren't closing deals at the rate that I needed them to. And the last one that I let go, my dispositions guy came to me and said, "I am so sick of dealing with these transaction coordinators that can't seem to get out of the way so things can get done." why don't you let me handle transaction coordination for a while? Let me just do it myself so I can get this log jam out of here and I can just start closing things so we all get paid. And I was like, perfect. And that's the last TC I've ever hired. I He still does it. He runs transactions and he's really, really good at it. He's really, really good at dispositions too. And so he runs both departments. So I let him sit in both seats because he can do it. If we get to the point where he's overwhelmed, we bring in, and we have done this, we bring in an assistant for him on the dispositions. Well, really just an assistant for him. And that assistant can handle some lower end or lower you know, priority tasks. She, she or he can handle that for him. So that's how we've done it. But I would say when you're scaled up, you want everybody to have a clear role in the company. It, you know, like generally speaking, there are circumstances that may change that, but everyone has a clear role. Everyone has their own seat. That's it, right? Doesn't mean some people can't have skill sets where they can like cover if someone's gone or on vacation or sick. That's fine. But everyone has a seat. Now, when you're a smaller company, when you're just starting out, people have to wear multiple hats. They just do, right? But you don't have as much volume if you're new. So, you know, one person can do two things. And an example of that is I've I've told people many times, 
if you don't have someone answering your phones and you don't have an acquisitions person and you need both of those, but you don't have a lot of volume and you're having trouble justifying two people, then I think it's absolutely appropriate and probably really advantageous. Hire the acquisitions person. Let them answer the phones for you. Let them set themselves up for the closing, for the appointment where they're going to go in there and get that deal. Because there's an awful lot of, of, of really good handoff when I answer the phone, I warm the seller up, I create rapport, I create trust, we have a good communication, and then I go out on the appointment to actually get the deal. It's so easy when you walk in there, hey, I'm Mike, we talked on the phone, Hey, great. And they immediately trust, know, and love me. So have your acquisitions person answer the phones when you're small. As you grow, you're going to have to break those two things apart and you'll need, a, you'll need a phone person and an acquisitions person. And they'll have to be separate because your acquisitions person cannot be answering the phone instead of going out on appointments. They need to go out on appointments. They need to get contracts. But I think when you're small, everyone wears probably multiple hats in that case, including you. As you grow your business and you start scaling up, then everybody has their own seat on the bus. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that was your yeah example. Yeah. Have a TC also work as dispo. 100%. But I would never, Bob, never have a TC person do dispo. I would have a dispo person do TC, if that makes sense, right? So you don't, because the, the personality profile or the prototype for a transaction coordinator is not going to be the right personality profile for a dispositions person. Okay. A dispositions person profile is not necessarily ideal for TC, but they can do it. I would really rather have a dispo person do transaction coordination than the other way around. Okay. And, and it, it goes for the front end too. When you talk about like a phone person, an acquisitions person, a phone person isn't necessarily and probably in most cases will not be a good acquisitions person but an a good acquisitions person can absolutely do the job of a phone person that's just it just works that way i i've seen it both ways and that's how it works so thanks for the question that's a good question though really good question okay uh if there's anything else live i will answer it if there's nothing else live i think we're gonna call it tonight bob if you're there and you have another follow-up question i'm all ears brother but if not then i think we may call it i'm not seeing anything bob going once bob going twice done all right guys that's it for this week listen like i said oh one more here we go oh that was so close nick just in the nick just in the nick of time nick no pun intended no <laughs> bob you're the man bob we need to catch up by the way bob we need you need to give me a call we need to we need to chat. Nothing important. I just haven't talked to you in a while, so we need to chat. But okay, Nick, I'm ready. You said one more. I'm ready. You're probably typing away, but let's see what you got. All right, I'm going to take a drink while he's typing. Hurry up and type. Hurry up. By the way, guys, real quick, I talked about it in the beginning. And if you haven't, uh, if you haven't been here since the beginning, if you go to MikeSimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail, all one word, obviously, MikeSimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail. If you go there, there you go. It's on the screen. If you're watching, uh, I have developed a brand new direct mail course. It's a five video course that is 100% free. You can just go there. 
sign up and start using it. It will help you with direct mail if you're struggling at all. If you're not struggling, Bob, you could be an example of this. It still might be helpful for you. So go check it out. But if you're struggling or you've never done direct mail, then you definitely should go get it. Okay. Nick's question is, uh, let's see here. Recommended wholesalers website. Nick, if you're asking me who you should use for your website, I think that's what you're asking. Then uh, we use Carrot. If you go to carrot.com, that's who we use for our website. Um, I've used other uh, website hosts or people who kind of compete with Carrot. I've used them and I don't like them as much. Carrot is fantastic. Um, and there you go. I just uh, put it up in the chat there. Carrot's great. Uh, I would highly recommend them. Uh, I have actually interviewed the owner of the company. I have a lot of friends who use their product as well, who say the same thing. They love it. Uh, I have been in there quite a bit lately because we've been doing some custom stuff, some custom landing pages, and it's very easy to use. I'm creating them myself. And uh, it's just, it's easy to update. It's easy to use. It's very SEO optimized. We started getting more organic traffic when we started using Carrot than we ever had before we started using them. And I think it's 100% because of their websites. So uh, yeah, I think Carrot's great. And I would highly recommend them for anybody who wants to put up a website. Now, as a wholesaler, you're not asking me this, Nick, but I'm going to tell you unsolicited bonus advice. Do not put your buyer's uh, site together with your seller site. I, I truly believe as a wholesaler, you need a seller-facing website and a buyer-facing website. The buyer-facing website is nothing more than a one-page, someplace for them to opt in to your email list. That's it. It, it. You don't need much else on the page, like very bare bones, Some someplace for them to opt into your email list. On the seller site, it has to be a lot more. You need, you need a lot of information. Why to use you, how your process works, testimonials would be great something about you and as the owner, something about your team, like you really need to warm people up when they go to that site, because if they're there, they're trying to decide if you're legit. They're trying to decide if you're trustworthy. They're trying to decide if you're an authority in that in that particular area. So the seller facing website needs to be robust and needs to be really, really good. Uh, buyers facing website, very bare bones, doesn't need much at all. Thoughts on KV Core. I have no thoughts on KV Core because I don't know what it is, actually. So I, I assume it's a website place, uh, but I've never used them. So no opinion there, unfortunately. But uh, here's what I would say, though, Nick. If you ask someone a question who you trust and think that they are smart and they can help you and that they have success that you would like to have some of, too, and they tell you where to go, just go there. Like, I don't know KV Core, but I would just use Carrot. Like get carrot, use it, get it up and running, decide if you love it or not. And then you change if you have to, but I would just use carrot. Like that's it. There's other ones you could look at. I would just use carrot. Like just take that advice and run because your website, while important, put it this way. I made my first million dollars in profit in my company before I had a proper website. So the website is not the indicator of success in real estate. It's it's an add-on, it's a tool on your tool belt, and it can eventually help you with organic traffic, which is great. But I could make a million dollars a year in real estate with no website. I know that I could, because I've done it. So don't put it up as an obstacle. All right, 
You're awesome. Thanks, Nick. Way to go. Okay, guys, that's it for this week. I appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in live. If you were here, uh, I know there's a lot of like uh, uh, flies on the wall situation sometimes on these. So people who are just listening in don't have questions. Totally fine. Uh, but if you want to ever listen to this on replay, you can go to my podcast, which is called Just Start Real Estate. Go there, check it out. If you want to get that free direct mail course, go to MikeSimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail. All right, guys, that is it for this week. I enjoyed having you here and I will see you again next week. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.